Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I am. I am okay. Uh, I don't know. This this night podcasting is killing me. It's not. It is not killing me because I'm tired. It's usually because I've you know. I, I like to have my first beer while podcasting, not several hours prior to. So, <laughs> oh dear, how many? How many in are you? Or maybe you shouldn't answer that question. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, I'm going back to Taiwan in a week, so this is my last week to have like proper, like good micro micro brew beers. So nice. Got to maximize my opportunities. We got we got a, a bit of feedback from last week. There was one. There's one thing in particular that I thought was that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, Basically, uh, someone someone pointed out that we we talked about Apple being integrated and and kind of Android and Joe being modular, but they pointed out well Apple is mostly uh, modular in all the parts where being modular pays off, meaning all much of their like all their a lot of their components are outsourced, their screens outsourced, all the parts are outsourced. The one thing they do control is the processor, but the as far as like the components go, but the processor is the part that really benefits from being integrated because the processor is designed for iOS and iOS is designed for the the A7 processor. Mm. So they're they're reaping the benefits of being integrated, but even there, someone else is manufacturing it, right? Yeah. So actually, in that in all the parts where you can conceivably really get the benefits from competition and from you know competition among suppliers, they're reaping it. Uh, and I thought that's a, a very interesting point. It it is it's it's yes it is it's not it's clearly not clean cut. That being said, I can't think of too many other manufacturers that are. I mean, the integrated versus modular at a high level. I think about is there another company that can that controls both the software and the hardware that it runs on exclusively? And Apple is unique in that circumstance. And you're right, it's not it's not integrated to the point where they make all the various components. But then even with the Mac, that was never truly the case. They weren't making they weren't making the whole thing the whole way through. They are. It's it's a relative thing, right? It's not it's not an absolute thing. So relative to the players in the Android ecosystem, Apple is more integrated than they are, and that means relative to them, the circumstances under which they will have an advantage are when a category is starting out versus when a category matures. Now, again, it's not perfect. No, no, and, let's not. I mean, let's not rehash the argument we've yeah, made like, right. multiple times yep. because there's one other thing that I think is worth considering. Um, mm. This morning, in um, I, I, it's in my daily update, so it's. I mean, you have to pay pay for it, so I won't link to it. But well, maybe I'll link to it, but I'll make it clear. But I, I wrote a lot about Micromax, which is the the uh, Indian smartphone maker that has mm. um, just passed Samsung in total phone sales. They haven't; they're still number two in smartphone sales, but they're they're definitely like you know chasing them down. And wow. what's interesting is uh, really that's that is a much better example of integrated versus modular. In that Micromax, all their innovation is in the supply chain, and they put together all these like different configurations at super low price points by mixing and matching from all kinds of different suppliers. They don't make anything themselves, really. They're they're purely a, a, an integrator. Whereas Samsung uh, finds themselves at a disadvantage relative to them because Samsung makes so many of their own parts. So Samsung is very constrained by their need to, you know, recover fixed costs, to recover R&D, whereas Micromax has none of those concerns. They'll, they'll, they'll use something a generation behind, and they'll, they'll, they'll bring something to market that is that is good enough, but literally like a fifth the price. And they're and they're eating Samsung's lunch in India in particular. And 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 interestingly, like if you look at it just by a piece by piece basis, 
That is much more an example of modular versus integrated than Samsung versus Apple, for example. Samsung is actually highly integrated. They're more integrated than Apple when it comes to the supply chain. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's integration versus modularity in terms of the hardware, but there's also integration versus modularity across the hardware and the software. And I always think about it more hardware versus software than hardware by itself. That being said, your point is definitely well made. I have so I must confess I've never heard of this Indian company. Yeah. Wow. So, well, I mean, so um, the well, but I think that's that's. That that that's unfortunate, and, and it's not just you. It's it's lots of people, and I think um, where a lot of a lot of theory proponents, not just this theory, but any sort of theory, um, this goes back to the, to the Uber thing, goes back to all kinds of things. Like I think people get themselves in trouble when when you make kind of arbitrary distinctions. Like why should we dis- distinguish between hardware and software integration versus Samsung making the RAM and making the whole phone or, or, or any sort of things. Like integrated is integrated. And actually, if you think about the arguments about why modular is better, they apply much more strongly to the hardware stack than I think they do to, to the software stack. Uh, uh, so I agree that they apply much more to the hardware stack than the software stack if you look at the hardware and software stack independently. But when you look at the two Together, I think integrated versus modular across the two enables companies to do things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do versus just integrated over hardware. I think integrated over hardware certainly allows you to um, to innovate on the supply chain. And like my mind is being cast back to Dell. Um, like that's that's one of the things that they did. They had control. They had much more. It sounds like a similar approach to that. Um, very interesting and point well made. All I would say is, I mean, A, it's a, it's a relative versus absolute thing. And B, I mean, remember these theories, they aren't, they aren't individually by themselves the thing that will explain everything. They are just a, a part of a much broader equation and a useful way of thinking about explaining various things. But well, they, well, but that's the thing. I'm not attacking the theory in this case, actually, because the theory very highly explains Micromax mm. versus Samsung. Like it is... It is textbook integrated versus modular. You know, there, there's an article that 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 explains Micromax approach versus Samsung. Um, not not in my article, but another one. I'll put it in the show notes. Mm. Uh, you should read it. All our listeners I, should I read it, and we can uh, maybe follow up on this some more. But I think people yeah, are getting I'd a little. Like si- to. I think people are getting a little sick of this topic. So okay, <laughs> we'll all right, move on. time to move on. <laughs> I saw your most recent article about how technology is changing the world on. It was the PNG edition, and I feel like a headline like that should be perfect grist for the mill for our, what we talk about. And when I read your post, I was certainly not disappointed. Do you want to explain the thesis to folks who are listening but might not have had a chance to read it yet? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I shouldn't do and kind of like uh, not walk backwards, but oh, I mean, I think that basically PNG is is announced they're going from 200 brands to about 90 brands, um, which is which is actually less extreme than it sounds because they're going to keep the brands that account for about 90 percent of their sales and 90 95 percent of their profit. Basically, they're cutting mm-hmm. all a bunch of relatively speaking underperforming brands. Um, so uh, you know, kind of the the. A lot of people are talking about, oh, it's focused. They're 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 you know they're they're doing this, they're doing that. Isn't it great? Like look at they're just like Apple and Steve Jobs came back, AG Laffley just came back. Um, AG Laffley, who by the way is like a f- just 
very much like a phenomenal CEO. Like his track record is incredible. Um, and so it was, it's easy to actually make that comparison. He's one of the few mm. CEOs that, that belongs at least in the same paragraph as, as jobs. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and that I think that the, I think I probably understood that a little bit. I'm sure there absolutely is something to that. And actually, um, someone someone pinged me on Twitter about a CPG company that he worked at where 20 years ago they, they undertook a very similar sort of exercise, and it just made a tremendous impact. But but what struck me about about kind of P&G's thinking is, um, is it actually I, – I, I thought it would be useful to kind of explore why – why does P&G have so many freaking brands, right? Why do they have 200 brands? And especially, and it seems very odd to kind of talk about them in the same sentence as a company like Apple, which is very focused on having one brand. Um, and so basically, I talked a little about branding, what the thinking is behind it, why it exists, um, and then talked about some reasons why some of those kind of some of that thinking behind branding is being changed by technology. Very um, interesting. So I guess the question becomes like, there was a reason they had it in the past, but something's changed and now it doesn't make sense anymore. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's actually, re- there, there's lots of interesting angles to this. So the reason um, branding exists, and you know this, so we can, I mean, you don't need to have me lecture you, is um Especially when you're selling relatively undifferentiated goods, uh, the most effective way to kind of build differentiation and to build kind of a sustainable boat is is through branding. It's through um, building an identification between your customer and you, where your product is kind of speaks to them as part of who they are as as a person, um, and. And this is done actually very effectively through things like deodorant and laundry detergent. And you don't actually think about this. A lot of this is super subliminal and and like under the surface. And like CPG is like the dark arts of marketing. Like they do <laughs> like all the stuff that goes into it, whether it be like ads in the Sunday paper, whether it be billboards, whether it be, uh, t- you know, in the stores, sh- shelf space or end caps or it goes on the end, whether it be commercials on TV, like there's, there's all these very highly developed sort of techniques to build kind of affinity with certain types of customers. And so that when they are in the supermarket and they're looking at a shelf, they, they reach for a, they reach for a particular product and they may not even consciously know why they're choosing that one, but actually they've been sort of conditioned over months or years to have a preference for a particular brand and and that it's meaningful it works it's why png is one of the you know 30 most viable com- companies in the world and and it gets better the more focused and targeted it is so that's the first reason there's lots of brands is you know if you have a one size fits all brand it's not going to really resonate with people the way a very highly focused brand does okay but Something has changed. Well, I don't know. It's it's almost like it's almost like we it's been t- the internet has taken it to the extreme. Like, and this is this is kind of the, the the thing where it's a little hard to wrap your head around. And I'm not sure if I explain it fully because the internet actually lets you reach people at an even more targeted level, lets you understand people even more deeply. Like, this is kind of this is the root of like Facebook success and. And a lot of Google success, but I think Facebook in particular, like it lets you really know who you're talking to and who you're reaching in a very granular sort of way. As an advertiser, right? As an advertiser, as 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 a brand manager, and it's almost like 
because like now there's just like so many ways to be reached. There's so much like it's not just the three TV channels in your local newspaper. Like there's all these things, all this information. We're just swimming in information. We're swimming in all kinds of things. We're swimming in advertising. It's just everywhere. It 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 actually perversely makes it makes it it makes it both easier to reach a very specific audience but it makes it harder to kind of stand out to to break through to break through the noise. And so well um in some respect there's there's even more niches that can be reached. Each niche to reach a specific niche you need more effort if that makes sense. So the 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 previously if there was um if there was if it was possible to identify and reach 100 niches and each niche needed, you know, $100 worth of effort. Well, then with like a hundred thousand dollars, I meant what's one hundred times one hundred? Uh, Ten thousand? No, hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I don't know. However much, yeah. however much it is, you could ten thousand dollars. You could reach everyone. Um, but now there's like there's there's a thousand niches or ten thousand niches, but it takes a thousand or ten thousand dollars to reach a niche effectively. And so what that means is a big conglomerate like P and G actually. Um, is not well served to spread themselves too thin. Like they need to figure out where are the largest and most profitable niches and focus their attention on them so that they can really truly break through. So but, did, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, just to go halfway is to waste your money. Like you're just throwing money away. You either, like, either you have to go big, like I've used the phrase, go big or go home. Like either you you own a niche or you're just like farting in the wind. So it's super interesting. So what you're saying is that the internet is effectively fracturing or balkanizing um, consumers even further, so that they're the like people's preferences are becoming even more and more granular, and they're expecting brands to target them even more and more granularly, with a few big exceptions. And P and G has decided that it's just going to chase the few big exceptions, and it's going to leave all those little super granular pieces. For other people to chase, that yeah, I, I didn't put it that way exactly, but I think I think that I think that makes sense. Um, I think just another way to put it is um, there might be lots of relatively large niches, but P and G, large as they are, still has a limited amount of capital that they can use. Like they 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 only like there's if you focus on two hundred niches. Like you have, you're spreading yourself across 200 niches. If you, but if you only focus on 90, you can put more more effort into each particular one. So, so shoot me, Ben, if like this is completely inappropriate. But the first thing that comes to mind is like, doesn't this sound like the causal mechanism by which disruption happens? Like this sounds like a move up market. And it, one of the things when I read your article that 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 there was a tension in it for me and that I wanted to explore with you is that there was a line in it, something along the lines of um, like around Uber specialized brands, how they can now more easily hone in on a specific niche. And I'm assuming they can hone in on a specific niche profitably. I'm assuming like that's a profitable endeavor. No, that's the thing. I mean, and so it's funny. So last week I actually wrote an article about the app store and like how there, I believe there there still is an opportunity for independent developers, but they have to target specific niches right. where there's a real need, and and they have to charge you know appropriately, for, you know, for, for in a niche where people are willing to pay. This is actually almost a continuation of that article because yes, what I am saying is it's no longer possible, in my opinion, for P and G to corner. 
the CPG market. Like the CPG market, do you think CP, people who aren't familiar with CPG, like this is us falling in a business school talk. Yeah. CPG means consumer packaged goods. Like basically think about all this crap you buy for your house laundry detergent, uh, dishwasher soap, uh, soap, shampoo, uh, razors, all, all the stuff that you use in your house is, is, falls in, in a CPG. Yeah. So like stuff you buy at the supermarket that you don't eat, basically. So that that's CPG. And like, no, I think you're exactly right. Like it used to be in like the 50s or the 60s, like uh, CPG is an amazing company or P&G is an amazing company. Like they have doubled their revenue uh, like every 10 years for like 90 years straight. <laughs> like the, that's amazing. The last few years is like the first time they haven't. Um, and so this is why A.G. Laffley is like wildly considered like this incredible guy because he came in and people were like in in like 2000 or or whatever it was like oh PNG there's no way they can do it they're too big now right like the you know, law of large numbers they there's yeah. no you can't grow that much anymore <laughs> and he basically completely overhauled a lot of the company he introduced a much more kind of design centric mindset like uh and a real new way of thinking about product innovation that that was very now it's kind of like a, a thing, like design thinking and all that. But he was very much at the forefront of this kind of approach. Wasn't it a lot of ethnography where yes, they exactly. actually send people in and watch how people lived their lives and deeply try and understand the problems they were looking to solve? Yes, exactly. And like the classic example, the classic PNG example is, is Swiffer. Like right. they, they went in and watched and watched people in their houses and they they realized that um for for um and unfortunately, C- CPG marketing in general is falls into certain stereotypes. But they realize that a lot of stay-at-home moms um, f- derive tremendous pride and self-worth from having a clean floor. But the actual process of cleaning a floor was so painful that many didn't do it. And there was this constant tension. And from that was born the Swiffer mop, the idea that you could have a clean floor without all the pain and, and the effort. And it was like their most successful new product, like, Ever. Like it was just exploded. Um, and that was very much the process that AGOF would help introduce. It's a process that companies like IDO and, and, Gra- and Gravity Tank and Frog are very famous for kind of kind of bringing in. And again, it's kind of been oversold at this point um, just because every, like everything that's successful is. But it is a very real sort of methodology. It's one I believe in very much. Um, it is very ethnographic based about observation, not about not about focus groups, not about that sort of stuff that marketing is traditionally known for. And and Laffley and PNG were very much at the forefront of this. Right. So let's go back to the point about uh, about the, the the niches and how the niches are becoming profitable. And in particular, in the example of the previous article around software developers, like help, I like that's the so the tension. This the fundamental question I wanted to to figure out is like. What is the point at which it makes sense for PNG to stop moving up market? So where's the cutoff? And I, I, I wondered actually, is there a case to be made for them going down market or even acquiring some of these niches to avoid uh, avoid the risk of starting a competitor in one of these Uber niches who gradually figures out how to do more and more and comes up and chases after them? So the, I mean, this is super interesting because the the, the like. I almost feel like I'm writing another one more piece this week. That's kind of like the end of the trilogy, and kind of the thesis that I'm 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 working through in my head is exactly along those lines. Like it, it very much feels that one of the absolute outcomes of the internet and and is almost the end of of super big companies. 
like the end of companies like like PNG. And the reason is like PNG reaped scale. Like that that's why that's why it worked. And it reaped scale by effectively like reaching vast quantities of people. And and but today when when you can create a company that is focused on a specific niche and that the reason that niche wasn't reachable before is because one you couldn't identify them and two like there weren't enough of them in your market right if you if you started a niche png company in chicago like there's a few million people that's not a, that's not enough but if you start a company that's on the internet like literally your addressable market is is in the billions right and and within that even if a niche is only 0.1%. 0.1% of 4 billion is is what? Like 400 million? Right. Or like or 40 million, I don't whatever. It's it's whatever. It, 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 our math is terrible. <laughs> our math me. is awful. It's yeah. it, it's the beer. Um it's a like it's a it's a it's a big number. And this this idea, like I think I think I wrote about this in the Samsung in the Samsung piece a few weeks ago. I think like one of the kind of laws of the internet, I'm I'm quoting this Thompson's law right now, is oh, wow. that absolute numbers matter more than percentages. Like when when a population gets so big, it doesn't matter if you have a tiny percentage because the absolute number of people is still huge. Mm-hmm. So like when it comes to Apple, for example, like, oh, it doesn't matter they only have 10 to 15% of the smartphone market because the smartphone market is freaking huge. So they still have hundreds of millions of uh, at, for an installed base approaching a billion like same thing here when it comes to comes to cpg like it doesn't matter if you identify a niche that is only 0.5 percent of of consumers because that's still millions and millions of people which is more than enough to build a profitable business so the question becomes why on earth are png retreating up market instead of moving down market well because the problem is to reach any one of these markets uh, you have to be you ha- like your product has to be super focused, and your messaging and branding has to be super focused. And I don't know. And PNG, large as they are, can't spread themselves across hundreds and hundreds of niches. Like there, there's a limit. Like it's almost like you can't have super big companies because no company can ever be big enough. If that makes sense. And so what we're going I think what you may end up happening is you're going to have super focused niche companies uh, that reach that are focused on specific markets and reach them and target them better than any large conglomerate ever could. And yes, I think it is certainly you can certainly see a scenario where they peel off more and more from from companies like CPG, from companies like the New York Times, from companies like from big artists, like from all these sort of categories where there has been big winners and um and become, you know, meaningful but significantly smaller businesses in their own right. So this is interesting because again, there's a tension and you talked about something. Um, I mean, I think about it in terms of some of the research from a professor that I've read at Harvard Business School by the name of Anita Elbersi, which is the blockbuster effect. And she talks about how in, in the entertainment world, 
I mean, it's basically she's taking the polar opposite view of Chris Anderson from Wired who talked about how the long tail was going to be set free by the internet. She talks about how actually it's going to be the opposite effect that rather than the long tail, like everyone moving to the long tail, actually there's going to be a shift towards the head. There's going to be a few massive blockbuster there are going to be a few massive blockbuster movies. There are going to be a few massive blockbuster artists. And I think you talked about, was it Beyonce or Jay-Z or someone in the article? Mm-hmm. Like, again, I'm trying to explore that tension because we're, we're talking about the, from a CPG perspective, things going down into little niches, but at the same time talking about, on the entertainment side, artists going up to the top of the charts. No, no, I, so, so I, my, my thesis fits with this. My thesis okay. is that there, there is going to be a massive bifurcation between very, 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 very big and very, very, very small. And like everywhere in the middle is, is going to go away. And so mm. with with CPG, like there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a large market of people that just don't don't care that much that w- are going to default to Tide, that are going to default to Pampers, that are going to default to like P and G and the, the future. And I think what they're identifying is their future is kind of the default. Like they, when you search for a laundry detergent, you're going to get Tide as a, as a result. And I think thinking about search in general, I think is another kind of angle to think about them focusing on a few brands, right? They right. need to win search. It's no longer about winning shelf space. Like that's the other reason to have lots of brands, right? Because PNG would go to go to a grocery store and say, "Well, I'll tell you what, we will sell you, uh, we will sell you Gillette products at a slightly lower price as long as you take these other ten brands." Mm. And the net effect was then they would own the entire shelf. Right, so you go there and all you see are PNG products, and so Unilever can't even break in. Like all the other P, the other CPG companies can't even break in, and and when as a customer, like you don't do deep research about your CPG products. You just go there and you pick something off the shelf, and if all the stuff on the shelf is PNG, they win no matter what. Mm. And but when it comes to the internet, when it comes to e-commerce, like the selection is infinite. The shelf is as big as it could possibly be, and we no longer browse; we search. And so now it's all about winning in search. And the way you win in search, the best way to win in search is that customers, instead of searching for laundry detergent, they search for Tide, right? They, they don't just recognize your brand, they recall your brand. The second best way you win is by being at the top. And the way you be at the top is by being the best seller, by being the one that everyone picks. And again, both of these, both of these call for focus. And then the argument becomes that those at the bottom there's still there's still space for those folks competing at the bottom but they're not they're not attracting customers through search they're acquiring them some other way yes exactly so let's let's go to the app example cuz I, I so i wrote about i wrote about um so you take like the app store for example right uh the 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 easiest way to get a ton of sales is to be on the top list like by definition a top list like like is reinforcing, right? If people go to the top list and buy an app there, then the app is more likely to stay on the top list. Like so there there is absolutely this massive return to being huge. Like the huge get huger. Um but that that a niche doesn't win, a niche app for example doesn't win by being on the top list. So I profiled the developer of an app called Plico, which is which is a Chinese dictionary. And like it Every like it's at the point now where everyone knows if you are serious about studying Chinese, you have to get Plico. But he talked about how one like one way he gets a ton of downloads is basically any foreign exchange program that that for anyone going to China, like they hand out a little sheet saying you need this sort of stuff, and on that sheet is is Plico, 
right? It, it's it like it, and so that is a channel that that only makes sense for a niche. Yet it's super profitable for him, and it's not using the the top list. And so I think that's that's exactly it, right? Search will always benefit the big. Um, all these like lists will benefit the big guys, but that doesn't mean that doesn't foreclose other channels, other ways of of being known to a specific audience that really cares. It's interesting. So I'm imagining a, a rainforest with a, a, like these massive trees and then a very interesting canopy down the bottom that's growing and, and harboring all this life, but there's just literally nothing in between the two. Exactly. No, I think that's exactly, I think that is, that is what the internet, like that, that is the, that is the economy that the internet is is creating. And I mean, I think you're seeing this in, I think you're seeing this in media, right? Like, I mean, the reason I, like, I am very much a, a little plant at the, at the bottom of the rainforest, right? Like, but if you think about it, one, I don't need that much money to survive because it's only me. The internet makes that possible, right? I don't, I don't have very many expenses. I don't have any distribution expenses. I don't have all that stuff. Um, but two, like I have, I have readers and paying customers from all over the globe. Like I get like every, like from anywhere from from China to India to Germany to England to to the US to Brazil. Like I can like I I can re, I'm reaching a an infinitesimal sliver of the internet. But because the internet is so freaking huge, like it's actually a meaningful it's a meaningful amount. On the flip side, huge sites get more huge they get more traffic they get more shares they they get advertisers to go there because they can achieve scale they can have a they can have an efficient spend and they are they are reaping the benefit of the internet j- just as well and meanwhile everyone in the middle who's not doesn't really f- isn't really focused on anyone doesn't have huge scale they're all going out of business you know it's funny. It's not necessarily a, f- a future that I'm completely unhappy with, like imagining how that works, right? That that you, if you don't care about something, there's just a default that's probably pretty good. Like it's this massive scale. Right. It, it won for whatever, a reason, right? Right. And if you do care, if for whatever reason that doesn't work for you, there's this competition down on the rainforest floor that's that's rich and blossoming in a way that just hasn't happened previously in human history because the internet allows you to reach more people than you otherwise could have in the past. No, exactly. I like I think it's I think it's quite exciting. Like I I honestly feel there's like we talk about I mean there's another article that I share with you on Twitter today about, you know, what is the future of jobs going to look like, right? And right. it's probably going to be messy. It's going to be messy like the Industrial Revolution was messy. Um, but whenever we do get to that future, what I think it looks like is actually a much more sort of individualistic, artisanal sort of society where people where people do something super specific that they're really freaking good at and they're able to reach a sustainable audience through through the internet, I mean, like the, the the one thing, like people people in the media, for example, this is something I was going to write about, but I, I I'm working on eventually something about subscriptions. Basically, people in the internet complain, or old school publishers gripe about the fact that basically the internet, um, their product is now worthless because anything on the internet has zero marginal cost. Right to create one additional unit costs nothing. Whereas right. previously, to create a new book, to create a new newspaper, it costs something, and like that something, like consumers, 
kind of intuitively understood that and would attach value to that and were willing to pay for it. Not right. no, one's, no, no one's willing to pay for anything. But, but the mistake publishers make, the mistake all these people who are fixated in the past make is those advantages accrue to them as well. And so me, like I have a subscription business, like every single additional subscriber I get to trajectory has zero marginal cost for me, right? Yeah. I, I am now getting additional revenue without paying anything extra. Mm-hmm. And and based all these benefits that that all the old all the old industries are bitching about, anyone who's creating something new should be celebrating them because right. if you can leverage them, take advantage of them, you can do things that were not at all possible before. And this is interesting because this reaches back to a conversation we had previously around the startups versus the legacy companies. And the big advantage that someone like you has over a legacy company is the world has changed. You're coming into it with a blank slate and you can say, you know what, like given given the way the world is right now, I don't need to have a subscriptions department. I don't need to have an advertising department. I don't need to have all these things. These are the these are the things I need. And by and large, in your instance, it's only you. You start from a blank slate. You don't have a previous business model to worry about. All the old school players have existing business models that are dying, but like that's the way things have already been done. And their starting point in trying to design for the future is here's my business right now. What can I cut out to get to get down to like keep costs down so I can compete in this in this new era? And I know it sounds it sounds like a very subtle thing, the difference between starting from a blank slate and just saying, you know what, given I have nothing, what do I need to add to do something well? It's actually, it ends up making all the difference having the ability to do that versus being coming from a legacy model where you've done things in a certain way and it's been successful and a culture has formed around it and then trying to cut things out to get down to fight in a new world. Well, I'm glad you've come around to my position. Well, I, I never I never had an argument against that position. What I would say is like if you're a legacy company and you're trying to compete in this new world, you want to start thinking about spinning things out and finding the resources within your organization that do help you fight in the new world and infuse those into the into the the new startup and trying to compete that way. And what's interesting to me is PNG decided just to cut. I also wonder whether PNG part of PNG is to fight the the tr- like in the big the big trees like creating the massive sequoias or whatever it is. But but there's interesting stuff happening down on the rainforest floor and the, the question is whether they should just ignore it and or whether they should be trying to participate it because in, in it because some of that Surely some of that will grow above everything else and manage to reach up, right? And well, they, they- I mean, may- maybe, but I mean, I think there's 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 a there's a way to look at that. Like, so there's two ways to look at it. One depends mm-hmm. on your perspective. Right. Um, you yeah. know, if, if from the perspective of society as a whole, or from a a a a shareholder who doesn't doesn't really care, he just wants to make a good return. Right. I I would say it's certainly better that PNG just focus on the big trees, right? Because they're they're never. They're they're gonna always be handicapped in going and fighting out the surface for the exact reasons you just articulated because they they carry all the all the baggage of of what came before, um, but more but more broadly, I'm not sure that there's in the long run a big tension here, and I think this is where um, M and A is is useful and is meaningful um, as a means of, of kind of like living a company living on. 
right? Like there, there's like all eventually the, the, growing from that little thing on the jungle floor to a massive tree is exceptionally difficult in making it through that middle stage, right? Some will explode and just make it there. But the reality is a lot kind of die there or choke there. And that's where actually M&A is useful and is meaningful, um, particularly for a company like, like, like P&G in an area where I think CPG is particularly suited to M&A because um, you know, products are very distinct. There's not there's not a lot of integration with other stuff around them, um, and I, I think that you know probably in tech we 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 undervalue M and A because in tech it doesn't work quite as well because of a lot of integration. But in lots of industries, I think M and A is a very M and A is mergers and acquisitions where you buy basically buy a company um, is is a very valid strategy, and I think should be the approach for for P and G to think about these smaller companies. You know, this is super interesting and it does relate to things we've talked about previously, but it also relates to that article that you tweeted at me and I kind of want to talk about it because what we've been discussing right now is an example of, uh, of, of just the argument that's made in this article, which is, so this guy, it's, yeah, it's, it's a continuations. It's, yeah. a, it's a partner at, uh, at um, Union Square Ventures. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in New York. The one that, that Fred, uh, uh, what's his name? Fred Wilson? Yeah, Fred Wilson is is kind of the most well-known guy there, but this is another one of his partners. Right. Wrote this it, article. Was, it was super interesting to me, this article, because um, he was basically making the argument that you can't, always use history as a guide. Like you, you you look at something and it's failed and then you don't want to win. I mean, he's got a venture capital perspective on it. So you don't want to invest in it again because, well, they had an attempt at that and it didn't work out. So any subsequent attempts didn't work out. But the point he makes is absolutely fascinating, which is like pattern matching doesn't always work if the fundamental circumstances under which you're matching patterns change. For example, the world has changed in terms of um, P- CPG companies wanted to compete solely on the ability to like own a complete shelf in a supermarket. Whereas now, increasingly, as people are buying things on the internet, uh, you, you use this amazing term in your article how like trying to win in an infinite resource is a losing proposition. Like there's no way, given there's infinite possibility for in any product category to create an, like as many brands as, as you can possibly imagine, like that's just going to be a losing proposition. So something fundamental has changed. You need to change the way you think about it. Um, the guy, what, who's the, what's the name of this guy? Uh, Albert, Albert Wenger. There we go. It was fantastic. Like car companies had failed stabs at electric cars until Tesla came along and then digital currencies. So he gives the example of flus failed, but something changed, which was a technical breakthrough in terms of the algorithm for Bitcoin, plus a growing distrust of government. Like you think about what happened in Europe. Um, was it in was it in Crete where the government just decided to appropriate people's money? Like yeah, some, yeah, I think yeah. so. Like suddenly that made digital currencies that weren't controlled by a central government very appealing. The fundamental assumptions had changed. Now, I think it's interesting talking about this in the context of what we just discussed, like something fundamental has changed and that that's causing the way people view CPG to change. But I think what's really interesting, and he brings it up in this context, is, um, and, and this is something we've touched on, it's, it's, We've talked about how technology is changing the way people work and where the gains will accrue. And I don't think either of us have any 
any, um, like neither of us disagree that the idea that technology is going to grow the pie, but that the way in which the gains accrue are going to become, uh, are going to flow increasingly to a few people who are really, really big winners. And he, he basically makes the case that folks that are worried about how the internet and how technology is going to change, um, uh, employment and whether it's going to be a case that this is actually contributing to inequality, that they're not Luddites or socialists. They're actually people that have recognized that something fundamental has changed in the way um, that the labor market operates and that they're not Luddites or socialists. They're actually raising a really, really valid point. Yeah, I mean, just just to just to put it another way, just to make soup make this because we'll probably spend the rest of time on this. Like, sure, super quarter listeners, like you know, I think there there there's a real fear that technology by increasing efficiency, those efficiency gains accrue to to use the technical term, the owners of the capital, like instead of to labor. So basically, the people who own the computers, who own the machines, end up making a lot more money, and the people who actually do work. Um, not only don't make more money, they're actually not even needed. And right. so what happens is the the labor class, the lower class, uh, their share of total income goes way down. And the share of income of the upper class goes way up. Like it, it's actually interesting you talk about pattern matching because this is this is Marxism, the Mark like basically Marxist theory. And if there's ever <laughs> and if there's ever a theory that that would potentially benefit from people uh, not using pattern matching would probably be Marxist theory, um, but that's neither here nor there. But, ba- <laughs> ba- but basically, like what what uh, what Marx got wrong, and Marx was very much at the time of the kind of the industri- you know in- industrialization, um, you know later on in the industrial revolution. What he got wrong was um, the machines of that time were dumb, and and they they actually ended up not taking that many jobs. And I think what, what Wenger's saying here is machines now are smart. And just because people were wrong to say machines would take over human jobs previously doesn't mean that's not going to happen this time. Because obviously the m- new machines that are happening now are are are, are vastly more capable than, mach- than the machines previously. And we shouldn't assume that just because it people you know were wrong before that they'll be wrong now. And he's like, oh, right. by the way, it's not like it was super great last time anyway, right? The Industrial Revolution like took decades and a few world wars to kind of work its way through the system. So, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't be super, we shouldn't be so, you know, so certain that everything's going to turn out wonderfully now. No, I mean, again, I, I think in the long run, I, there's no doubt that if managed properly, this is something that's super exciting, like the ability for technology to start taking over uh, the roles that that folks normally do, leaving freeing them up to focus on other things. What we need to be very careful of, I guess, is like if if <laughs> well, and again, like thinking about it in terms of income equality. Like any time equality is has has skewed too much, things end up in a in a very bad state. And the question I think is like whether the new type, like so, in the old circumstance where in the industrial revolution. The new types of jobs ended up uh, the 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 number of the new types of jobs and the value of the new types of jobs actually ended up outweighing the old types of jobs. So in net, oh, net, vastly exponentially right. more so. So the question is like, is that true 
again here. And it, it, I think the well, question- Well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, this is why I think this ties all- Sorry, I'm, I'm very worked up here. No, I think, no, no, go for it. I think this is why this ties all together because I actually, I think I just articulated- um, part of the future, like part of where these new jobs are going to are going to come from, into like the, the jungle new, floor. Exactly. Like <laughs> I, my, I make my living writing a freaking website. Right. Like this was unimaginable. What? How far to go back? Ten years ago? Maybe you could imagine it. Fifteen years ago? Twenty years ago? You certainly could not. I think the, the question. The question is like. Okay, so I, I got, I'm getting a nice gig out of this, right? So the future is looking right. bright for me. Like how fast can we come up with these sort of jobs and can we come up with them at a rate that will – like which is going to be faster, these new jobs or losing jobs to automation, losing jobs to, to these sort of things? And I think the concern is that we're going to lose jobs more quickly. But, but what is encouraging, especially for us in the tech industry, is I think it's actually a – rather clear call to action of how we can meaningfully create the future. How can we meaningfully overcome these problems? I think, you know, even last week, I've been very fatalistic. In general, I've been pretty fatalistic about like, what like what do we do about these problems? Whereas now I feel very excited and, and inspired because these are what we need to do. We need to make possible people to be artisans, make possible people to be have jobs like have these sort of jobs where they're doing one specific thing and they're doing it very well and finding an audience, a meaningful audience that matters. If you think about this, actually, the most meaningful tech company in the last 15 years is possibly something like eBay, right? Because that's exactly the sort of things that they've enabled. Right. It's interesting. And so I, I think I think your question around is the rate of these new jobs being created um, going to be greater than the rate at which the old ones start to die? I think that's a very interesting question in the short to medium term. The question that I have in the longer term is: Are there is is there potential? Like, uh, is there a is there a potential for everyone who's not working inside a PNG to be doing the kind of thing that you're doing? Like, is there enough mind space in the in the minds of all these people? Well, not necessarily in all these people, but like if you look at the, if you start breaking the the seven or six or however many billion people we have up in the planet into these little niches, are there enough niches to support like a vast, I'm assuming what will be a vast majority of the world's population doing these kinds of jobs? And the other point we're trying to, I think we're making here is that it, you know the skills required have evolved from the agrarian age to the industrial age and now it's, it's I mean information age for lack of a better term it sounds like creativity is going to be something that that becomes the place in which people are able to flourish on the forest floor to continue that analogy are there enough creative people out there to be able to do that and if you're not creative what happens to you I mean, it's interesting. I think I think that kind of there's another way to frame your question, okay. which is: Will the number of niches outpace the gains to the 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 power curve, basically? Right, because there is like it's it's the balance between the big trees and the little guys, right? I've right. I've, I've written about the power curve and how you know there is massive gains that accrue to the best in any any sort of category. Right. And so in any particular niche, uh, there are going to be just a couple big winners. And so when I talk about there being a long tail, it's not a long tail within a niche. It's that there are just an infinite number of niches. 
Because in a particular niche, the whole reason a niche is possible is because you can reach everyone all over the planet, right? So there's right. going to be the single best person that does X. There's And if you're the fifth or sixth person who does X, well, that that's that's that's, that's where the tension comes in. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, my hypothesis would be that there are going to be plenty of fifths and sixths and the the world that we're moving towards doesn't doesn't behave too kindly towards the fifths and the sixths. Well, I think I think this is I mean this is where there's it depends on your perspective. In the long term, uh, I, I'm optimistic that that things will work itself out. There's going to be opportunities for everyone. And again, even today, like not everyone lives a, a vastly vastly better standard of living than before the Industrial Revolution, right? But there's still lots of people that do jobs they don't like. In fact, the vast majority of people do jobs they don't like. This isn't so, some sort of utopian future where everyone uh, just does what they, what they love to do. That's true. I think you're talking about on average, though, and I don't think, at least in the industrial companies, that that average is necessarily borne out. I think the same observation you're making about the middle disappearing is actually happening societally as well, where there are more people who... So on average, I think the standard of living in a place like the United States is above what it was 30 years ago. But I would also say that there are people, there are more people doing badly in the United States right now uh, than there were 30 years ago as a percentage of population. At least that's what some of the, the, the uh, and, and that percentage is entirely arbitrary because I can't remember the research off the top of my head. No. But there's there's research on inequality that suggests that there are more people ending up down the, the there are more people ending up up the top, but there are also more people ending up down the bottom as well. Well, no, but that's because we're already into the transformation, right? A lot of these, a lot of these changes are happening because of globalization, because of automation, right. and and that that's the that, well, that's the point to take it back to the industrial revolution. I know we're being a little a little over the place here, but you know, we started with ninety eight percent of people working on the farm. We yes. ended with two percent on the farm. The problem was the number of industrial jobs crappy as they were increased more slowly than than jobs on the farms disappeared and that meant we went through a wrenching change over decades um that manifested itself in all kinds of ways um through economic upheaval through wars through, like through through like basically you know the end of the industrial revolution was arguably world war 2 that's when we finally like work the entire change through our system and and that's that's what's that's what's that's what's scary is because yes it's great to be here in 2014 and and our lives are so much better than 1614 but right. damn 1614 2014 was a pretty shitty 400 years in in a lot of respects it was life got way better but there you know was, more was, more people died yeah more people died in that time period, like all these sorts of like terrible things happened. And, and, you know, when you, when you have a system where, where things don't line up as far as tempor don't line up temporally, there's, there's the chance for all kinds of ruptures and fissions in society. Yeah. And, and to me that that's a clarion call though, for us in tech, I, I feel we are, we are uniquely placed to, to create these sort of opportunities, and um, and that's you know that those if those are the kind of jobs to focus on, those are the kind of companies to create. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. I can't help but escape the feeling that yes, in a hundred years, this is gonna 
end up being a much better place to live, assuming we can get through the hundred years, because like there are going to be people that that are born and that die before we get there, and life isn't going to be too much fun in that transition. So the question I well, have I is don't, like, but that's I mean, but the other thing is like everything's accelerating, right? Like. What what why should we assume again? We don't want to over pattern match. Like just because it took a few hundred years before doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take a few hundred years this time. No, I I totally agree. But there is going to be some period of transition that's going to be extremely ugly. And whether it's a hundred years or even if it's one year of people not having food to eat, and if that number gets too big, well. I, I mean, whether it's a hundred years or ten years or fifty years, like we've got to get down through the other side. Like it's not just enough to say, you know what, guys, this is going to be tough, but we'll get there in the end. Like there's a transition period that we need to manage. Um, my, I have a hypothesis, and perhaps it's based in pattern matching, and perhaps given the conversation we've just had, I shouldn't do that. But my hypothesis is, and at, at least the data on inequality is bearing this out so far, that things are going to get worse before they get better. And to get out the other side of that, we have to, we have to, we, ha- we have to manage it. And it's, that can't be technology alone. I feel like this goes back to the conversation we had previously around how San Francisco, like tech people in San Francisco can be in a little bit of a bubble, right? Like we can create all these creative, like all these opportunities for people to express their creativity. But if you're a kid in a Chicago school or a suburb of Chicago where it's not even safe to get to a school and your parents can't afford to feed you, like you get enough folks like that. Uh, Like it doesn't matter how wonderful the infrastructure is you put in place, like there's nothing they can do. Life is going to be really bad for them. No, I I, I agree, and I think this is um, I, I mean I I'm <laughs> by virtue of being back in small town Wisconsin, I've had you know I try to avoid political conversations, but sometimes they find, they seek you out anyway. <laughs> and um, like the classic trope here, right, is especially among you know small town conservatives is those welfare those people on welfare just they're all they're all tricking the government and they're. There, there. You know, there's so much waste, and yes, of course, people need welfare. We need to help them. We need to have a safety net. But everyone's wasting it. They're all tricking. And and <laughs> instead of arguing with them, there's actually a very simple response, which is: last time I checked, we don't have enough jobs. So what, what do you do what, with it, those people? Yeah, what exactly is the big deal about them getting a check from the government, right? Like right. would you rather like what job would you prefer they have instead? And, and like this is going to I mean this is going to be I have talked about the 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 you know America has this very kind of invigorating independent spirit and distrust of government in particular, but this is going to be I fear debilitating is you know there is going to be, I agree, there's going to be a sizable segment of, of the population that that in this transition is going to be anchorless, isn't going to have a place to go. And and I, we, I absolutely agree. We as a society have a duty to these people. And they're not, it's not that they're lazy. It's not that they're free riders. It's that like we've literally eliminated their place in society and and it, and it it sucks to be them right it it would suck right. to be that it, like, and isn't it enough that they're missing out on kind of the dignity of 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 work and a job like can't we at least put food on their table it's really interesting you say that so to take that argument like the the independent spirit and you know it is invigorating i agree and it and it was the perhaps i'm, not, I'm i don't i want to state this without value judgment perhaps it was the right thing 
uh, under a previous set of assumptions. But perhaps to tie this all up, perhaps the fundamental assumptions around that are starting to change and people who hold those views need to recognize that some of those fundamental assumptions have changed and they perhaps may need to change their views. Uh, before I before I retreat completely into fatalism, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fun, again. Yes, very good. Um, well, uh, we covered a bunch of ground. We had lots of references in this one, so we'll make sure to put those all in the show notes. So definitely check those out. Um, and then uh, we got one piece of feedback. We got quite a bit of feedback over the last couple of weeks, so appreciate that. Keep it yeah, coming. Yeah, totally. Please. I, we love getting tweets and stuff with ideas and reactions and thoughts to the show, so please keep doing that. Yes, and there's a feedback form on the site. Oh, and also, um, if you if you, if you you feel inclined, uh, definitely feel free to rate us on iTunes. Um, um, someone or share us, yes. right? Like, like oh, what, that would be amazing. Oh, that's Please. even better. That's even better for sure. Like, tweet about us, Facebook us. Like, if you enjoy it and you think you might know some people who would enjoy it, email them or tweet them. That would be huge. Really, thank you. All right, um, enough begging. Well, yeah, <laughs> we should stop. Yes, <laughs> we're just little plants on the forest floor, Ben. Exactly. <laughs> we just want to be trees. Yeah, that's right. That's what we're hoping to get to. That's all everybody's hoping to get to. Hopefully all right. We- Hopefully we don't we, get squashed. Yeah, hopefully not. On that note, I'll See talk later. to you later. All See right. you, mate. Bye. That was that was really good. I w- I will say that um, uh, you may like more than one beer is good, but maybe not four. Like I, there was a point um where I would have loved to have got in, but like there was no way I could interrupt you and you. Were, I, I've you were only ha- I've only had like one beer. What's uh, yeah? Like, okay. Don't don't overstate it here. I was very, okay. I was no very, worries. I was very I was very. I had a lot to say. Sorry about that. No, it's totally I like it's gonna flow back and forth on every episode. So no worries. I I thought it was a really good conversation though. I enjoyed it. Also, I've been, I've I had an Android phone, or I have an Android phone, uh, which I've been using occasionally. Oh, is which, that the one that the guy sent you the invite for? Yeah. Um, nice. What do you think? You're, you're, you're just just not even remotely in the same ballpark for an iPhone as far as usability. Like it's how, it's still not even close. How much? How much less did you have to pay for it? No, I I paid full price for it. It wasn't it wasn't a special deal. It, right no, now, no, no. How much was it? Then? Oh, it was like three fifty. As opposed to like, and I'm assuming it's unlocked, so it's like half the like I'm assuming it's 64 right. gig or so, something. Right, so it's insanely cheap, relatively speaking. Right, um, but the point, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom using it. And and again, there's a massive population that won't care, that will see the $300 savings and jump all over it. Yeah. Um, but I, especially for something you use so much every day. Like I think there will all like I, I'm more convinced than ever that that the user experience, like preserving fifteen percent of the market is of is absolutely a real thing, and it's it's like it's just as far away as it was when I last used Android two years ago. Wow, it, um, in my opinion, and I, and that's you would consider what you're using best in breed. Yeah, it is top of the line everything. So these people that are using these five and a half inch Samsung phones are just like. Like they don't know what they're missing out on. Yeah, and like honestly, like I mean, and again, some people don't care, right? Like I post a thing, on, like the scrolling is atrocious, and I post something on Twitter. And of course, it gets a bunch of people. Oh, I don't know. I think it's fine. Scrolling's gotten a lot better. It's not better. It's still. It's just as awful as it's ever been. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possibly better. I don't have my old device to compare it with, so it probably is better. But relative to an iPhone, it's it's not better. 
Like so it, it's I, yeah. so my point being like again, there's going to be a lot of people that don't that don't notice, and that's fine, and they'll they'll pocket the three hundred dollars and good for them. But uh, it's to me, it's not just that I'm particularly picky. Like to me, the the difference is still so vast that there has to be a very large percentage of people that that will notice as well. Right. It's it's so interesting, right? Like it's it's it really blows my mind. Like, what's stopping Google from figuring that out? Like, is I, I can't imagine they're at the point now, given the hardware's improved at the rate that it has, that 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 scrolling, that problem scrolling is a function of, um, that that scrolling is a function of lacking hardware and software integration. Like, why can't they figure this shit out? It's why, 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 why can't you use a trackpad on Windows? Trackpads have been around for 20 years. Like, whatever the cause is, like we're we're accumulating ample. Like I I, I feel like there's there w- clearly there's much more that goes into it, it's basically it's it's takes so much effort to go from ninety five percent to one hundred percent that the return on investment for a company like Microsoft or a company like Google just isn't there. Like yeah. and 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 I think this reality is is serially underestimated. Um, the fact it's also, that it, 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 yeah. again, it's not just that it's hard, it's that from a very cold-blooded business perspective, it's not worth it. Like, why should Google fix that 5%? Consider- because Apple's, I mean, like, wouldn't it be nice to like take what Apple has? But they're not in even Apple's business. They don't even sell hardware. Like, what, what, what is there to take? Well, like, like the point. Like, I mean, that's the whole point. That's the whole point, though. Like, what, like, what ultimately would Google gain by Samsung owning the top, the top percent? Well, I mean, what would what would Google gain by Apple not owning everything, right? Like, if it, but Apple doesn't, is, but Apple doesn't own anything. Apple owns like ten percent. Right. No. 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 I, I, so my point is like we're in a situation where there's a happy medium where basically everyone's winning. Google is doing quite well in mobile. Like they 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 they, they control eighty five percent of 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 mobile phones, and everyone has access to the internet. Everyone has access to their ads, and they're getting gathering data on tons of people. Apple's winning because they they have their nice little percentage, and they 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 do go through the effort for that five percent, and they reap the gains. They that's mm. why they get the big margins. Like mm. basically everyone in Samsung, it doesn't matter because they don't have control. Like so, basically, the answer for Google and Apple are both. Just are both as good as could be. So, like, basically, the only reason for Google to do it is basically hubris. And actually, both companies are very rational. It's interesting. So, basically, your thesis is so I'm thinking of a bell curve of of consumers and their performance demands. Basically, we've reached um, we've reached equilibrium where, like, at fifteen percent share. Apple is on the high demanding consumers to the right and 85% share Google's on the left. And your your thesis is that that equilibrium point is not going to change because it makes no sense for either party to try and move up or down. Absolutely. That, that, that's a great articulation of what I'm trying to say. Interesting. We might have to, we might, we might have to stick this on even though, even though I still have the Skype recording even though we stopped recording our mics.
Oh, well, yeah, I think it's probably worth it. I think it's actually a really interesting conversation. But no, I, 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 that, that's a great way of putting it, though. I'm going to totally steal it. So maybe I won't put it on. So that I can oh, you it son of a bitch. <laughs> if you use that, then you better attribute it. <laughs> uh, I saw something else you said. Uh, no, this, the, the, we, we agreed last week. This is a part of the point of the podcast is to help me figure out. Oh, you know, totally. Attribute. Attribute. Attribution, though, is always very welcome. Like, I'm happy to, I'm more than happy to help, but I wouldn't mind a little bit of credit. Oh, come on here. As, as oh, if I don't ben. give you any. Yeah, okay, fine. Fair enough. You're going to like. You know, I regularly link to all your articles. Oh, wait, you don't write it anymore. So. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, knife through my heart. On that note. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Good chatting, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Later.